Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast brought to you by SME Strategy. Our goal on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast is to bring you practical and actionable tools that you can implement with your teams right away. My name is Anthony Taylor and I'll be your host. Each episode, I'll interview a senior leader or a thought leader that will help you elevate your ability to lead people and drive your organization's strategy forward. Our partner is Cascade Strategy. They're our favorite tool for tracking and executing strategic plans, providing visibility for your entire team, and helping everybody have insight into where you're going and what you need to do to get there. If you're looking to improve your strategy execution, visit smestrategy.net slash cascade for a link for a free 90-day trial so you can see for yourself if you enjoy it and it helps your team move forward. So with that, I want to thank you again for joining us, and we'll get into today's guest. Tara, maybe as a way of getting started, you can tell people a little bit about your background and, and how you got to where you are right now in your career and life. I am currently a strategic advisor, and I work principally with CEOs, senior executives, or board members of established mid-sized companies to help them figure out really how to take their strategy off the page and into action, bring it to life. So I, I do that full-time now, but where I came from is where most of my clients sit now. You know, I came up through corporate. I've had experience all over the globe. In fact, for a good chunk of my early career, I spent more time out of the country than in the country. So I've had a broad range of experience. And, you know, I was working in the energy sector in natural gas and dealing with remote gas in particular. And I always laughed. So I'm like, yeah, I've been to places that aren't on anyone's got a hit bucket list. It's remote gas for a reason. You know, It's not anywhere there. So I've done a lot of different things throughout, largely around strategic challenges, either setting the strategy or really, and most importantly, trying to figure out how the heck you're going to do it. And I think that's where my passion lies. It's sort of what happens between strategy sessions. It's great to set it, but then, okay, now what? You know, the worst thing you can have is a strategy that sits on the shelf or some file in the cloud and no one ever looks at it again. Yeah, exactly. And as I was telling Tara when we started that normally we don't have just like consultants, consultants on here. But there was a very specific reason I wanted Tara to join us today is because so much talk about creating a strategic plan and it's fairly standard, but I thought it'd be really valuable as I know a lot of our clients are getting into the execution phase as it's becoming into March and a lot of people have their fiscal years rolling over. A lot of people have moved out of this sort of COVID blanket in the sense that they're like, okay, we actually now is the time to redo our strategic plan or refocus it or assess mm -hmm. it. You know, I thought it'd be a really good time to talk about the execution phase and, and really look at like how the similarities and differences are between you have our methodology, but how does Tara do it? So Tara, what are you seeing right now in terms of strategy execution with your clients or in the ecosystem? The biggest thing is that the uncertainty is sort of feels off the chart for a lot of people. And that has impacted a lot of how people are thinking about things. And there are a variety of reasons why that's, that is true, the uncertainty. And there are as many impacts of the uncertainty in our world today and the systemic uncertainty, meaning, you know, this pandemic kind of hits everything. So it's somewhat unique to the time, even though uncertainty is not uncommon. It's 
the norm for us in business. So I think people in some respects are taken aback by how big it is. And that impacts both the strategy development phase and the execution because you know, the challenge in answering your question in a very specific way is that the challenges that everyone's facing it runs the gamut, right? It's across the board. So I can't say, oh, well, do this or do that. I think there are a couple of things to think about. One is, what is the impact of the uncertainty on you? And I think there it's sort of, is it really big or is it very small or is it somewhere in between? And if it's somewhere in between, particularly, then start thinking about well, what are the key drivers, right? What are the things that are having the greatest potential impact for us or the greatest real impact for us? And helping them to think through whether they're in the development stage of strategy or they're in the execution phase, there's a couple of things like narrow your focus, right? You've got to really pull it in tight. I was working with a, it's a nonprofit organization, pretty good size, but still relatively small footprint. Um, And they uh, really were struggling with what to do. They were supposed to be doing a new strategic plan for five years right about now. And they're like, we're so busy just figuring out how the heck to keep the doors open and the lights on that the idea of planning five years out is really hard. And one of the key things that we did was really to look at and say, okay, look, in strategy development, you've got to have a destination. You need a vision right? So let's set a destination that's closer in. Why are we thinking five years out? You know, we need to be able to take baby steps forward. So there's another great analogy. Have you ever walked a high wire? No, I am definitely afraid of heights. Yeah. Not one okay. So you wouldn't even choose to walk a high wire, right? Well, what about a slack line? Do you know what that is? A slack I do, line? I do know what that is. And I'm, have, and I'm not going to say I have the body type for that, but no, it's still uh, outside of my risk tolerance. <laughs> it's still a lot easier because it's only a little bit off the ground, right? And if you've watched somebody do it, right? Most of us don't choose to do high wire walking and you can find all kinds of great images of people like over Niagara Falls or Iguazu in Brazil, you know, like, I mean, seriously, people, this is like really hot buildings, tall buildings, you know, these guys are off the charts in terms of their comfort with the risk and the uncertainty versus most of us. Slack lines, though, are kind of down to earth. You know, they're only a few feet off the ground, wire, the line is wider. The uncertainty is not as great and the risk is not as great. And the key thing is that those guys are two things. One, they do take baby steps on the high wire Hmm. and they have a very different set of supports. So one of the things that people are doing right now or that I'm encouraging them to do is to identify what supports they need and recognize also that while you have a fear of heights, I actually most of the time do not. I don't think I'm going to step on a high wire over Niagara Falls anytime soon or from the Sears Tower in Chicago or something like that. But, ah, you know, I'm pretty good at thinking about some of these things, I wouldn't mind giving it a go, maybe a little bungee, you know. So I have a different risk tolerance. So that difference is what you see on your team as well. So you have to kind of figure out where your tolerance is for uncertainty and where your team is, and then figure out what supports you're going to need. Do you need a bar? Do you need a wider line? Do you need do you need other forms of support to get yourself across? And the the flip in like like what does that look like in business? Well, you know, if you are leaping to the finish, you create gaps. And the greater the uncertainty, the bigger those gaps are, and you leave people behind. 
So stepping it through, narrowing the focus, being able to try and take those smaller steps so that you can adjust course very quickly becomes really important and helping people to walk through that and then being very clear around what what you're trying to do. So we've gone over as a leader, if we have this like big gap, big level of uncertainty and then say, okay, let's narrow the gap of uncertainty to make it more clear and then recognizing what kind of supports not only they need as individuals, but also what the team needs in order to support that. Like if we took it right into the like implementation of a strategic plan, let's say we, we've got that process, we've gotten aligned as a team, we've set that vision. Now, as we look, let's say even between 2021 and 2022, we're looking over like the next 12 months. Right. In your years of experience, what have you seen being the most effective sort of components that have led to making that strategy real, that has made it actionable, and that it's kept it like top of mind so that you know exactly where you're walking on a day-to-day basis? And if you have any practical examples without giving away who it is, that would be great. Well, the faster, the more frequent the changes that are happening around you or that you are making, then the more often you need to stop and review. And that's counterintuitive because there's a lot of go, 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 right? All hands on deck, let's roll. But the faster you go, the more likely it is that you're going to have a harder time switching gears or making those little changes in course. So great. There are lots of examples and ones that people would be familiar with, right? The pandemic hit, everybody went home, right? We went home. Global shut down, plane stopped. We went home. Companies immediately, including some of the guys that I work with, I had one client in particular, they're a government contractor, so very stable client that they're dealing with. And they basically took everybody home and got laptops to everybody, which may sound obvious, but they usually use desktops. They're very much a grounded in the office kind of company. And they have a lot of security requirements. So they don't as often use external equipment, right? So they had to change out all of their equipment. They had to fix their laptops. They had to change their network security very quickly and then started checking in. And they changed when they meet. They sped up their calls and they also started using a variety of tools. That's not uncommon. Some folks did it better than others. Shifting gears, look at what Airbnb did. Right. Airbnb, we are familiar with globally. Airbnb went out and, you know, (laughs) their business kind of shut up, shut down overnight as well. What did they do? They started offering experiences and they hadn't been doing that. They had thought about it. It was apparently on their back burner for quite a while. They went in and they just said, we got to do it. We're going to do it. And they pivoted that way, leveraging what they already knew, know about their areas and their sites. Because one of the things that they had been very good at and went, and gathering was the data and the data around the places that people visit. And so that gave them the opportunity to start delivering a different kind of service really, really fast. You know, mm-hmm. and that's it. It's an easy and an, and an obvious one. There's there are a bunch of stories. There's a great restaurant in Seattle and in the U.S., for those of you who are not U.S. based in the U.S., the West Coast was hit earlier than other parts of the United States. And in particular, both California and the state of Washington, which is where Seattle is, were really in a, in a tough, having a tough time. The restaurants shut down 
And of course, that's really hard if you're a small business to shut down like that. So the restaurant, this particular restaurant, which was a brand all about luxury, basically, you know, like the view of the water and all the services that you get were a huge piece of their brand. And suddenly they couldn't capitalize on any of that. And they reframed what luxury looks like in a carryout. And they went to, you know, delivery, they went to drive-by and they changed their, not only that, but they had to then change their business model. And that's the key for them in terms of being able to survive because they weren't able to just make it take out and do everything else the same way. They had to really focus in on it and change how they were positioning themselves in the market. And they've been successful in staying afloat as well as like surviving and if you talk to their CEO about it or their, their leader, they are going to continue some of this stuff. Like it's really expanded how they think about their brand. And that's like sort of big company, tiny company sort of examples that are, and it's everything in between. Mm-hmm. So what I heard out of that is like, you know, for organizations it, through that big shift, big changes that there's like big shifts at like the top or potentially externally that in order to sort of keep up with that, you need commensurate changes in your operations, in your process, in your structure, whether that's like technology, whether that's how you do meetings, whether that's how you communicate, just everything you do. And and it's like reframing and shifting. So versus like changing and dare I use the word pivoting, but like actually just recognizing that you can't get different results with the same action. So really make sure that that's clear. Yeah. And, and you know what? Here we are a year later. And one of the things I think that people forget or fail to realize when they're doing any kind of a strategic initiative, I think some of those things are very obvious, what we talked about to, to many people to say, oh yeah, of course. And yet the, of course, the obvious isn't always easy, Right. Just because it's obvious or you know that's what you're supposed to do, making it happen, not so much. And constantly when you're executing strategy in any circumstance, you are adjusting and aligning strategy and operations on an ongoing basis. And the key thing is to not be wedded to the thing you you designed at the beginning as being the end all be all. And I think that goes to sort of my definition of strategy. If you Google or Bing or do a search on strategy definition, you get millions of hits, millions of hits. And it's really, for me, it comes down to something fairly simple. You know, if your mission is your purpose, your vision is your destination, values, what we believe, how we behave, and then your strategy is simply the set of decisions and actions that get you where you want to go. And while it's true, right, it's true that you don't want to be changing massively your strategy all the time. The reality is that the work on the ground is constantly in flux and that's not necessarily a bad thing. And so like, just going back to what we said earlier, if it's really in flux or if it, and that can be pandemic or it can just be my business environment has changed for any reason, right? Then it's about saying, okay, well, where is it today? If the destination is the same, but the environment has changed, what are the key factors there that we need to be focused on and then be able to respond to? And you could do scenario thinking, you could do scenario planning. All that stuff's great. I'm not knocking it by any stretch of the imagination, but you can spend your whole life thinking and planning. At the end of the day, you got to do. And 
the key thing is sort of using that to expand your brain and, and how you come at it so that there are ideas on the shelf that you can kind of think about and help create clarity fast. Mm. But you've got to respond in the moment. And that's what the agility is about. And, and, you know, so the scenario thinking, scenario planning, all those kinds of activities help to build the muscle that allows you to be more agile. We've talked about the, the survival piece. We've talked about the aligning and adjusting operations, which I think is critical, especially for those of you like that are leading teams and leading organizations. And I see who's in the chat. So you know who I'm talking to is really making sure that like, the move over here matches because it's a systems thinking. And we talked about that survival piece. What if you have an organization that's been set up to be successful in this environment and then the shifts and changes to be successful in this environment, you alluded to culture mm-hmm. and you know, that culture is the glue for all of that stuff. So we're not going to, you know, we're, we're both preaching to the converted here. How do you, as a leader, make those tough changes when sometimes you don't have the, the political cover of disruption in there? So what have you seen that has worked and, and how important is it to make those people changes within the organization in a way that doesn't have everybody not hate you, but you know what I mean, that actually get traction? Yeah, I think I think there's a couple of things. One, I do think you need to be human. There's been a lot of emphasis on that now that if you go virtual, you have to be even more human. But you do need to be human. You need to talk to people like they're people and they're smart, respected people. And so that's the first thing. When you do that and you inquire and you partner with them, it is much easier to do those kinds of things with influence. So there's a two little words in any conversation that are incredibly powerful. What else? What else is going on? What else do you think about that? What else is on your mind? What else do you think we might do to be successful? Okay, so those kinds of conversations, if you can adopt those now and be doing them as part of your normal way of leading, go a long way towards, as you said, being able to make some of this stuff happen, even if you don't have some external disruption. The other thing is keep your eye on the prize. Again, go back to your destination. What's your vision? What is the objective? Framing things in terms of how what you're doing is in service of getting to that destination is super helpful. And again, if you do that habitually throughout the the period of execution, it's not quite as jarring, I think, for people. I was leading a huge team. We're doing a major, major transformation of how all of the core business functions operated in service of their strategy, you know, the strategy. And this is when I was inside corporate responsible for 18,000 staff, you know, two countries, 15 lines of business. And I don't even remember the count of how many locations we had. It was very decentralized and we're trying to bring it together and make it more centralized so that, we could streamline what, what was going on as well as create new opportunities for people. And the approach had been much more either small fiefdoms. And yes, I'm deliberately using the word fiefdom, medieval <laughs> in, in that conversation. But there were small fiefdoms and there were also lots of folks who were really good at getting things done. And yet so challenged by the nature of the systems like they could they were like heroic to get payroll done and you say payroll should not require heroics 
right? It, it just shouldn't require that. Even though this person, these people who are really great at it, it's like, this shouldn't be happening. We shouldn't need that. So it was things like that, but they were still quite wedded to it in many respects because it worked. And my team, the team that I was leading, was kind of discharged throughout the, the two countries and the functions, really trying to help folks figure out how we're going to do finance, accounting, HR, IT, all those purchasing, all those key processes and functions completely differently. And we weren't always the most welcome people in the room <laughs> at all. Like, really not. Um, <laughs> kind of fun at times. Yeah. So we'd show up thinking, okay, they hate us already. So that's awesome. And they don't want to do what we're going to do. So how do we get past the bobblehead routine? You know what the bobblehead routine is? The bobblehead is what, you know what a bobblehead is, right? The dolls, the guy with the head and the head's like, you know, it goes that, right? Okay. So when you're in a meeting and you kind of go, okay, guys, we're going to do this. Everybody in agreement. And you kind of get the, yep, in the meeting. And then you leave, you know, they're nodding their head up and down. And then as soon as they get out the door, the bobblehead goes the other way. Because if you move your bobblehead on your desk, it goes in all different directions. So <laughs> don't want those. You don't want bobbleheads. It doesn't work very well for you, right? So one of the things we started doing very often when we meet re with resistance in trying to get something to go forward was what will it take? Mm. And then, so you ask, well, what would it take? What would it take for you to say, yes, what would it take, do you think, to make that successful? Or how, how might we make that meaningful for your team? What, what will, would be the key things we'd need to do? And so each time you, you hit kind of a no sort of answer, whether it was explicitly no or heck no, or in when healthy freezes over or any other version of no, start breaking it down, the barriers. And what we found was that it wasn't always just about, I don't want to do this or not in my backyard or any of those other kinds of stereotypical negative attributes. A lot of times they had very valid concerns expressed solely as a block. I'm not going to do this or I don't want to do this or I'm sure as heck not going to make it easy for you to do this. And so we kept drilling down and we would get tons of insights around both how to make it work for them effectively, as well as being able to say your perception of what's going on, Dis disavow them of misperceptions. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, sometimes you do say, I understand, and yet this is happening. So how do we make this okay? How do we make this as less painful as possible? And then the question, what else? What else do you think we could, could go wrong in that? What else do you think might make that easier? What else could we add or subtract? Or what else might we talk about to help people relate better to what we're doing or to really understand what's going on? And just keep doing that. And, and by the way, the greater the uncertainty, the other thing you need to do, or the greater the resistance, ask questions. You need more questions. And listen. I'm smiling because, you know, as facilitators who use the Socratic method, you know, I just don't even say anything. All I just do is ask questions to the point of annoying people. But sometimes that's what you got to do. What I'm actually just really taking away from this 
is it sounds like this was, you know, a large organization. I'm sure it applies for large or small and we have people all over the world. So you have different circumstances, but none of this has to do with like a tactic. None of this is a strategic priority. Like none of this is the strategic planning stuff. This is literally just talking to people and pulling it out of them and getting them engaged in it to both sort of come up with the how to have them be engaged in the how and to mitigate the like perception between your reality and their reality so that there is one reality. Because if you're both looking at different things, then there's no way you're going to have the same like sort of scope of the problem. Mm -hmm. The other thing I heard is like being aware of, and this is for all the senior leaders in the room, everybody here is a, I assert is a manager leader, is are they, and so my challenge to you, reflect on this, are your people challenged by the nature of the system? So Tara, I couldn't have said it better. Is are your people challenged by the nature of the system? Is the system that you have probably designed getting in their way of accomplishing what you want them to accomplish? So you're not helping them accomplish what you want to accomplish because of the nature of your system. And then the greater the uncertainty, the more requirement for communication and buy-in. Tara, anything that you wanted to share about that? Did I get your your perspective right? Have you seen it done well? Have you seen it done right? Like, yeah, where are you at right now? Yeah, so I've seen it run the gamut. I think you're right. I often tell people I'm a strategist at heart and and that's so much of what I've done, but I've also spent time in HR. The initiative that I mentioned is one where I was sitting in heading up organization effectiveness and change management. So I often get asked, well, if you're a strategist, what are you doing there? And the reality is that you can't execute strategy without people. Ergo, you can't ignore them ever. It's like ignore them at your peril. You know, there's just, it's not going to work. So you're right in that assessment of it. It also, though, one thing you said was it's not, it's not so much about the tactics. It's more about getting people engaged. Well, I think that's true. It's also because people in your organization at every level, everyone, tactical is a level of strategy. It's the ground floor level of strategy. It gets a bad rap. It's like an insult if somebody says you're too tactical. And while you need to also be able to think bigger picture and understand all that, if you if you don't actually do anything, then you won't get anywhere. You know, So tactics in and of themselves aren't a bad thing. That said, the key piece is being able to, and even at the ground floor level, is to connect the tactics, choosing the actions on the ground that you're doing that best get you to the destination. So in that example I gave you, and yes, it's a huge organization, but I was dealing with very small sites at times and asking them, well, do you really want to have to you know, spend two days figuring out how to pay these people that are on salary that you pay anyway. There's things like that where at the tactical level, what is it that you're doing right now that you could change? The other thing that you mentioned was the systemic piece of this or the systems thinking approach. A lot of times you hear about that in terms of the interdependencies and systems thinking is even broader, right? It's like all the various pieces that could be coming together. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like, a Venn diagram on steroids, right? Because a Venn diagram usually has three circles and then you try and get in the middle usually. Systemic and systems thinking could be umpteen versions of the Venn diagram and you're trying to get the guy right in the center or see how that works. That's hard. 
interdependencies easier. So interdependencies come into play. I was working with a controller's shop in a, a pretty good size organization, but still mid-size, smaller mid-size organization. And they were having trouble with time to close. A time to close in accounting, you think, who cares if it takes us too long? But the implication of that was that they couldn't support the decisions. They couldn't provide the financial data that they needed to support decisions that were happening in the moment. They were an investment firm. So they really were kind of real time. While there are long-term investments, they were also adjusting portfolios and things like that as they go. And this delay in the time to close meant that people were constantly taking decisions based on literally last month's data. Mm-hmm. Or they'd get all the way to the end of the month to get you know the end of the next month to get their data. And at that point, they've already moved through the world and shifted again, and they couldn't take decisions. So closing it up, decreasing time to close had a really big business impact for them. And it required really, we mapped the process. We looked at you know how all things were going to look at the bottlenecks. But the key piece of that was interdependencies. The people who are contributing to the effort close the books, which is like, you know, making sure your expenses are in and, you know, getting your revenue booked, all of those kinds of things that go into the numbers and generating them. They had no idea where they were in the process. They had no idea what their contribution was. They didn't know that the controller shop was counting on them. They were depending on them for very critical information. And I'm not talking about everything they were doing. Like, what are the critical things for which I depend on you? And then for what critical things do you depend on me? And those are your major interdependencies. Those are the things you have to attend to. And that's a tactical thing to do with huge impact on the bigger picture. So at the operational level of strategy, as well as potentially the highest enterprise level of strategy. And then once they figured that out, I asked them, well, have you asked them for it? And they went, no. And it's like, okay. So if they don't know the impact of their delayed reporting in this case, how do you expect them to have any incentive to change? And then in the flip side happened too. You know, the controller shop was like, these guys have got to give us the number by this date or our whole process gets mucked up. So they went and talked and said, you guys need to give us this data by this date or we're Oh, we can't get this out. You're the problem. And those guys said, hang on. And if you ask the same questions, they said, we're dependent on this event to get you the data you need. So you asking for it by this time doesn't work. We will never meet that deadline. And the controller shop stood back and went, oh, hang on. So this is where your kind of your Venn diagram on steroids starts to go, right? So, you know, the controller shop had solved for the simple And then talking to the next one, they're like, oh, hang on, there's another piece. And so they were able to restructure their timeline and the process in terms of how they were doing so that those guys no longer held them up. Mm. And those guys also were able to give them a different view that they could then quickly adjust if they needed to have something else change. They were able to, they had to kind of rework both of their thoughts on that by having that same conversation. So it's two key questions and then make sure you actually, you know, get the answers to those two key questions. That's very granular. No, I I think it's so critical because as a, as a leader who is trying to drive change forward, 
to recognize that it's not as simple as here's my plan, go do it. Because there are so many things that, you know, you change one input to the system that it's going to have a, an effect over here, over here. And that I want to highlight again, the awareness or lack of awareness from each other party, because, and I'm sure you've seen this is that you're like, this person just never does what I ask them to, <laughs> or this person isn't working with me. And so it goes back to those fiefdoms. It's like, you want to have the, that like collaborative organization. Mm -hmm. We all want to work together, but nobody actually takes the time to look at like, Hey, what's happening in this person's world? Like, how can mm -hmm. I help them help me? But it just, it's like, we're so busy trying to like move stuff forward. Like I've got all these deliverables. I just need to worry about my deliverables. But if you actually take the step back, which is the value of the strategy and to say, okay, like how do all of these interdependencies look and how can we, you know, streamline it? How can we make it work? How, like what is the system that this requires to move strategy forward? So when we talk about, you know, strategy for real, Strategy for real is not just making a plan and executing it. Strategy for real is understanding the, the human side of what's needed. The, the fact that, you know, you don't operate in a silo, even in the best of cases, then you have like emotions and human people, parts of that, which is a whole other kettle of fish. Where have you seen strategy go really poorly oh, on any of your consulting engagements? But what would you say is something that you saw? You're like, man, Either I missed the mark or they missed the mark. And that was just like, I don't want to ever do that again as it relates to strategy execution. So I think it, this is likely kind of obvious, or at least in terms of why I even started a business called Strategy for Real and, and focusing on that aspect of it. But it's sort of the blind adherence to a set of steps, tactics, action items, like just get on the train, keep going stay on the track and we don't move, you know, there's never, there's never a problem in the track. If there's a problem in the track, you like move it out of the way and keep going. I mean, or plow through it if needed. I think that's the biggest piece that and a failure. So it's like, you just did it visually. Like I'm in there, I'm doing my own thing. It's like traveling with blinders on through the whole thing. It's one thing to narrow your focus in times of uncertainty. It's another thing completely to put blinders on as to what's going on around you. And just to be really clear, that that's a huge distinction. And I think that the strategy mostly goes wrong when that happens. I'll give you an example. I had a client I was working with, and you know, one of the at the very beginning of an engagement, I often will say, okay, so what does and I was hired by the CEO, this guy was not the CEO. And you know, so very often it's like, what does success look like for you? You know, what would you see as success in this engagement, success in a strategy? What does that look like? It's a conversation I often have at the beginning with each person. And, you know, I literally got a binder. We pulled it off the shelf. It looks like this. And then everybody doing this. And I looked at him and I don't know if anybody on the call is familiar with Dr. Phil. Like him or not, one of the things that Dr. Phil does that is just beautiful is with a totally straight face in light of the most ludicrous, absurd things, he will look at somebody and say, How's that going for you? <laughs> and the reality is, it was not going for you so well. Maybe you ought to change something. <laughs> and I think, you know, there is a bit of, this was the situation. It's like, eh, that wasn't going so well for you. Blind adherence. You're behind on this. You're behind on that. We're not getting where you need to be. And 
you know, you need to make a huge change in your organization. So you're, you're facing a big threat. So that's not going to work. And that happened periodically throughout in that engagement with different people. And it wasn't just about the strategy. There was your market has changed, which means you can't build. Literally, they were people who built the company that built stuff. You can't build exactly the same thing, even though it takes years to build stuff. So your timeline to when you can actually bring things online is really hard. I saw that a lot early in, in the US and actually it was happening around the world too, in a shift to um, combined cycle gas turbines and stuff in the utility sector. And that happened all over the world. In the US, the financing is a little different than it is in some of the other countries. And the, the point is that irrespective of what that looks like, they're planning for, we think there's going to be a bigger gas future here. However, they've got to take decisions about this new thing, new technology, new way of going and big, huge plants and facilities you know, 10, 15 years in advance of when things are going to be brought online. And so the further out that timeline is, the harder it is because you really do have a blueprint. And a blueprint, you know, I talk about the distinction in my work between offering a blueprint and what I do is bring frameworks because they move. When you're building something, you got to use the blueprint. And let's face it, I'm glad when the guy building my house followed the blueprint to the letter. Yeah, that's good, right? They've got to still figure out, is this still the right investment to make and how do we time it and what adjustments do we make? Do we need to change out some of our coal? Do we need to make it a combination one? Is there some other way? What flexibility or what options can we build into that right now where at various intervals, which we've marked, you know, there could be decisions or gates or, you know, timelines or something. Will we reevaluate and can we still make changes? So a lot of folks in Big projects, we'll talk about a go, no-go decision. Those happen multiple times. And that's a great process, by the way, is to kind of keep, stop letting it and saying, are we ready to go to the next phase? Um, you can see that in product development. You can see that in just any kind of a new launch of something when they're trying to roll something new out. If you do a go, no-go at each point, are our people with you? The questions that you ask to make that decision are different, but it, it's the same idea. So we got about five minutes. I've got two questions left. So it's going to have to be some rapid focus. Okay. So one of them is from the chat from Yvette is this, how do you put all the strategic initiatives in one place for all to see to avoid silo thinking that we like cascade strategy, but I'd love to see what your perspective is. And obviously it's not a giant binder. So I'm going to, that's the first question. And then the second question is, which I didn't follow up on is what happens if despite everything that you've done, there's still people resistance to the plan. You know, whether they're not the right fit for the role, whether they're not the right builders for the blueprint, whether they're like not willing to change the fiefdoms, what do you do about that? So both questions, five minutes, go. Okay, I'm answering the second first. Okay. You do need to make a change and you need to exercise managerial courage and you need to do it with effective HR policies. Sometimes it just doesn't work and nothing you do is going to change that. And so there is at a time when you need to pull the plug in some form. And that comes in a lot of ways. So the, the first question is a little bit more challenging. That, However, the key thing is hopefully you don't have so many strategic initiatives that it's hard to keep track of. If you do, that's the first thing I'd look at. Do you need all of them? The second thing is a lot of folks use shared tools and technology, which is great. 
what I recommend is creating a dashboard. And there is a strategic dashboard and there's an operating dashboard. So either you have two different things. The strategic one is the one that allows you to look at the big goals. There's probably three. I'm kind of a three to five sort of person, not more than that. Okay. And you want to know exactly what those are and what your progress for those. And then your strategic initiatives on the operating side should tell you which one they fit and how well they're going. And again, it's a dashboard. So you put it in one plate. Honestly, you can use Excel. It doesn't always have to be complicated. And there are plenty of really interesting things. You can use Excel, but get it on something where people can have access to see it, to view it, make it public. And if you're in charge of one of them, share. Just because it's strategic does not mean it shouldn't be shared. Mm -hmm. Most of the stuff you're doing in your strategy is really not confidential. And I know that's like anathema to a strategy consultant. Not that I share things and I keep things confidential, obviously. However, a good chunk of what you're doing, especially within your own organization, should be shared. Like most of it should be shared. And you need to tell people where you're at. Yep. I couldn't agree more. Again, if you don't share your strategy and you don't share those, what you're working on, how will everybody know what interdependencies are required? What interdependencies? And I think that one of the sort of challenges that leaders face is that desire to sort of autocratically lead, but don't realize that there's more people in their team than there are of them. And they need to have that full engagement buy-in to, to move it forward. So uh, Jason just put a link for Cascade. Uh, we do have a partnership with them. So if you do want an online dashboard, I agree with her that an Excel sheet will do it. And you know, pros and cons to each. And so as long as you're tracking, as long as people see it, that's all that you really need. So uh, Tara, as we finish up here, uh, tell people about your forthcoming book. Tell people how they can get a hold of you either on LinkedIn or Twitter, which is an inside joke between her and I, and uh, anything else that you want people to know about uh, you and what you're up to. Yeah, so great. Thank you so much. Yes, I do have a forthcoming book. It's called Charting the Course. CEO tools to align strategy and operations. So it's precisely, in fact, what we've been talking about. What's awesome about it is that it's practical. It's about taking the obvious and making it real and doing it. And you can access it in terms of access the content in the book from many different directions. So if you're starting out fresh on your strategy journey, it'll take you kind of soup to nuts on how you do this. If you've got something going on, there are some key questions and common situations that CEOs and, and senior leaders face, and it'll tell you kind of what to look at and give you practical tools. So it's coming out. If you would like advance notice of when that is available, by all means, reach out to me on LinkedIn. My profile on LinkedIn is T. Rathor. If you put in the LinkedIn thing, it's it's at T. Rathor. You can find me, T. Rathor, on Twitter as well. And my website is Strategy for Real. It is strategy number four, real.com. And sign up for the blog or just hit the contact us button. You can find me fairly easily. And I hope you'll at least follow. It's, it, have a conversation. I'd love to talk to you about what's going on in your world. Everything is online. So you got to connect people because, you know, you can't meet them in person for a while. I mean, I guess, depending, depending on where you are. So Tara, thank you so much for, for sharing with us today. It has been awesome. Such a pleasure. I knew that it would be a great conversation. So if y'all enjoyed today's conversation, be sure to put it in the chat. Connect Tara, just learn more about what she's doing. So many great folks out there and, and leaders need the help because the world needs to change. 
in a lot of different directions. And so that's yeah. what people are there for. So Derek, thank you again for your time today. It's been a blast and I appreciate having you here. It's been awesome. Thank you so much, Anthony. You're so welcome. My guest today is Tara Rathor, who is the CEO of Strategy for Real. My name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast live on YouTube and Webinar Jam. Thanks so much for joining us. And until next time. Bye, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Before you go, I wanted to make sure that you knew about our signature course that'll help you better align your team and get them bought into your strategic plan. It's presented really simply that whether you're a seasoned veteran or brand new to strategic planning, it'll help you better understand it. It'll help your team think more strategically and it'll help you better prioritize and set goals. Ultimately, it's gonna give you a plan that you can execute successfully. Because you have no idea how many plans that I see that look good, but are missing key components to make them successful. And we cover all of those missteps in the course. On top of all the video training, you'll get access to all of our workbooks and access to our knowledge base and community. The course is only $4.95 and you can get instant access to all of the videos. Plus you can use the code podcast for $100 off. Course comes with a 100% money back guarantee. If you don't get value from the course, let us know and we'll give you all of your money back. So go to smestrategy.net slash course, use the code podcast for $100 off. And I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to support you and your team in getting alignment and moving your strategic plan forward. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time.